I hear the music, close my eyes. I am rhythm, what a feeling. The American singer and actor Irene Carr, best known for her title track in the 1980 film Fame, as well as co-writing and singing the, the smash hit Flash Dance with Georgia Moroda, has died at age 63. According to Moroda, he wrote this song with Irene Carla in mind, Cara rather, to sing because he loved what she did with the theme song to fame. And uh, who of an age didn't dance around the bedroom in leotards? And the video featured the dance sequence to Flash Dance, which was the primary driver of the leg warmers trend of the 1980s. And never a truer word spoken, Anna, who didn't dance around the bedroom with this track blaring. Yeah, absolutely. And I was so in love with Leroy. Leroy, jo- yeah. Leroy Johnson. Gene Leroy Johnson. What's that? Yes. What a, what a babe. Yep. <laughs> yeah, do you, you recall this um, film, oh, Steve? It was, it was so inspiring. This is my teenage years all yeah. over again. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 trust me, I'm not a dancer. Okay. At all. But, uh, yeah. She was very she much. Was, oh dear lord! A, yes, a great dancer eh? and a great presence, great style, yeah. and, all, and also there was something about that film. It was almost like um, a motivational seminar. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I hear I the music, close yeah. my eyes, I am rhythm. You know, you you can be. The, the, the theme was Anadine. You can be whatever you want to be in life. That's true, as long as you're super ha- super fit. <laughs> And um, and hot and living in New York. <laughs> yeah. And um, being able to wear leg warmers really well. Very good. Uh, you're on the panel. Uh, International, needless to say, huge response regarding uh, truancy uh, and also many other things. Uh, also, actually, um, uh, cost, 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 cost. Yes, we are being ripped off, especially in the supermarkets. Prices are lower across the board in the UK, not just lamb. And now the UK has a long way to go before it catches up with New Zealand prices. Mark says, Steve is correct. We are being ripped off in New Zealand, in my view. We can buy from the UK online cheaper than we can buy from the shops or online in New Zealand for a good percentage of commodities. We are told we do not have the buying power however i can buy a one-off item from the uk or the us cheaper than i can buy comparable in new zealand what is going on to this elon musk's takeover of twitter is not just shaking up the social media landscape but it's causing serious disruptions to the christchurch call and the christchurch call was set up after the 2019 mosque attacks to eliminate terrorist and violent extreme content online. Marcus Lushak Rush from Victoria University has written a piece for the conversation on this very subject. Very interesting piece. We thought we'd get uh, Marcus on. Kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. Thank you for having me. Yeah, explain a bit more uh, why Musk's takeover is impacting the work of the Christchurch Corps. So with the immediate um, effect to Twitter, there are, there are two issues that we are feeling on a daily basis already. So the first issue is how is Twitter operating technically? Um, and we've seen a very, very um, 
immediate um, effect of, of the mass layoffs of engineers, actually, and also content moderators with the Christchurch terror attack video circulating on Twitter again and only being taken down after the New Zealand government stepping in. And the second thing is, how is Twitter going to change its, its corporate values? And actually, what position are they going to take towards content moderation and algorithmic transparency, which was the core of that Christchurch call collaboration? This really... This piece in uh, uh, this this excerpt in your piece really got my attention, Marcus. That the entire team, the entire Twitter team, the New Zealand government was planning to work with, has disappeared, and it's unlikely that any work outlined in September will actually eventuate. Explain that for us. Yeah. So the the the, the work that was. Um quite publicly and, and prominently announced by the Prime Minister in September was um, bound to a specific team within Twitter that was um, looking after algorithmic transparency, but also democracy um, in platforms, led by a specific scientist um, that was laid off as one of the first initiatives together with the head of legal. And um, the entire work that they were doing came out of a very prominent um, scientific article that they published about last year, where they already looked at algorithmic effects on um, mass extremism movements, for example, and, and whether content drives people into extremist corners, which they found to be broadly true, except in a very few number of countries. And with these people gone, it's highly unlikely that the, there's any initiative left at the moment oh dear. to do that. And there's definitely the technical capability is gone. Whether the willingness is still there, that is to be found out. I would be very interested to hear from uh, the New Zealand government on this, uh, maybe an update on what they see as the, uh, uh, as, as the impact of, for example, Twitter's head of legal, Vijaya Gad. Um, she was, Vijaya was very instrumental, wasn't, uh, wasn't she? Also, Raman Chowdhury. Absolutely. These are the two people that were instrumental, but there were other people involved in that specific line right. of work, and um, that entire team is gone. Hmm. Anna Dean. Yeah, it's pretty worrying. Um, but oof, I mean, it's, um, it's really interesting this timing as well, because it's like one year since Frances Haugen did all her whistleblowing around Facebook and Meta. And, um, there's so many questions being raised. Uh, Twitter was the one, uh, platform that we were in conversation with, you know, or the government was in conversation with. And now, um, I really feel for them. Uh, Jacinda Ardern has, you know, put put this call out to the world. She's really headlining it, and um, I'm sure they're reeling. I mean, it's it's very much like who can keep up um, with this kind of blowtorch approach that Elon Musk has. It's going to be really interesting, even to see in a, in a month's time what the scenario is. And I I feel for these people who are having to make policy or have these conversations on the fly. It seems almost like it's changing week on week. I mean, who knows what's going to happen next week, Marcus? <laughs> Marcus? Yeah, well, there's, there's one other other issue. I mean, there, there's the sort of immediate issue, but um, we also, and I think that came through in that piece as well, um, um, are really concerned about the general position of the government towards um, looking towards overseas technology and offshore expertise when it comes to big issues that come to democracy and technology. Um, because there are, is actually a really, really strong domestic expertise in engineering, but also in, in values-based technological design um, that helps um, to actually consult locally and domestically around those issues. And we would really like to see a little bit more of that um, because having all your data offshore makes a country these days very, very dependent. And um, we heard it earlier in your piece, actually, when you highlighted about Estonia, small nations can be digitally really, really progressive.
but we're not seeing that from New Zealand at the moment. Steve, what more can we say about um, a, a very entitled rich person who thinks he's insulated from all consequences of his own actions buying a toy that he doesn't understand. This is such a sad situation. Like we said, Twitter was actually trying very hard. Have you lifted it? Uh, no, not yet. I don't, there you I, go. I don't, I don't, I'm going to, because um, I... So you're endorsing him? No, I know your enemy. I'll stay, I'll stay there to find out what's going on. Call it research, Wallace. Uh, but, you know, he... he he he's taken this absolutist approach to to free speech. Everyone gets to say what they want, and and yet he's supposedly going to have some sort of moderation council, which apparently has yet to convene. It, it's just sad, really. We were trying to get, well, we're actually making progress toward trying to make places like Twitter a safe place to be. But no, yeah. e- Elon's toy had to be played with, and there we are. So finally, Marcus, do you think that New Zealand needs a bit of a plan to update uh, or change its? digital strategy because I do know that other countries are actually um, making a big investment uh, and bringing their strategy and actually their their their, their um, know-how in-house in part for security reasons quite quite obviously yeah so um, I think for 2022 it's no longer appropriate to just assume you can rely on um, overseas um, cloud providers. I think when, when we're reading in the digital strategy action plan that more use of cloud is, is one target, then I would say it should be more development and research on domestic right. cloud and use will follow. Um, there is really good tech talent in New Zealand, and I think New Zealand could even be an attractive place for people who are driven out of other places to build value-based technology. So, yes, absolutely. Very good. Associate Professor Marcus Luchek-Rush. One final comment, Steve. One quick comment was, I'm not the only person who's not left Twitter, am I? Who's that? Well, your account's still active, and you were <laughs> tweeting within the last month. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> I'm I'm on Twitter, yeah, but I don't I don't engage much in the no reason. There's no reason why I just don't tend to sort of look at it too much. Um, in fact, well, BC, that's well, not maybe, the que- that's not the question you asked me though. You said I'm still on Twitter. I said yes, and you gave me a hard time for it. <laughs> You're still on I, Twitter, and yet somehow that's okay. I didn't give you a hard time, but here well, is tried. here is a hard time. John says um, a lot of fans coming in, but John's not a fan. It's unbelievable listening to the hand wringing lefties on your show this afternoon. Bike riding. <laughs> Namby Pamby nonsense. Oh, mate, you the say the sweetest things. The problems society is dealing with at the moment are a consequence of an absence of discipline and the natural consequence of no consequences. Hey, I'm voting for Seymour, and your panel is reinforcing that decision. There you go, Anna. There you go, Steve. You just made a. So I'm reinforcing that decision. So, so tell me, mate, w- would you have like, possibly considered voting for the Greens if it hadn't been for what I said? Were you, were you still a swing voter or were you going to vote for Seymour anyway? I think we know the truth. All right. Uh, the panel, RNZ National, Anna Dean and Steve uh, McCabe with me this afternoon. A bit of a response regarding it. Flash dance as well. It was dangerous for the non-dancers amongst us. <laughs> a few friends were injured doing the dive across the floor. Uh, is Anna Dean getting mixed up with fame? Wasn't Leroy from fame? Not flash dance. Um, oh. Same era. Totally agree he was crushed with her. Wasn't flash dance part of fame, the movie? Anyway, no? Is that different? Um, interesting you played What a Feeling from when the chorus finally kicks in, which actually takes one and a half minutes into the song. It's If it had been written these days, it would not have been a hit because you need to get to the hook faster. I am dying to discuss this because I am being kept awake 
at night in Tamaki Makaurau. Have you? Have you heard a helicopter above you? It's stalking me. I kid you not. If you live in Auckland, there are many features of life you get accustomed to. A trip to a city beach, a walk in the domain, road cones, and then this, this eagle helicopter, a fixture of the skies, and the sound... Oh boy, it can get into your head. Kate Newton did a great piece on this, and with us is Associate Professor of Acoustics and Human Health at Massey University, Dr. Wyatt Page. Kia ora, Dr. Page. Yeah, kia ora, Wallace, and uh, tēnā to the panel. Yeah, uh, yeah, and look, you swear it's above your house the whole time. Is it quite deceptive because the helicopter, in fact, in fact I understand, moves very quickly across the city? Yes, it, it does, but it's it's because it's got a very distinctive sound of all the sort of aviation sounds that, that are out there. Helicopters have got this really distinctive sort of modulating sound that, of course, also has a lot of low frequency, so you tend to hear it at a distance, and even when it's over the top of you, you don't perceive it as getting much louder in, until it goes a long way away. Now, what does research say about aviation noise? I understand there's a public health component. Well, this is true for, for all noise. Aviation right. noise is one of the of all the sort of environmental noises, if you like, that, that can contribute to adverse uh, health effects. Um, uh, aviation noise in general is probably uh, the worst in the sense that the thresholds by which um, these effects occur are much lower than, say, for road noise or rail noise. What do you think, Steve? And have you have you heard the helicopter at all? Well, oddly enough, on, on my local Facebook grapevine, uh, no one's allowed to ask. Anytime anyone says, does anyone know where the helicopter's <laughs> out? Everyone's, oh, no, you, the, the, the police are doing what they need to do. You must discuss this. Uh, so obviously we're not allowed to talk about it. But, yeah, that, I've, I've heard it. And, and Does it annoy you? Well, well. I'm actually going to go back to our friend, the Seymour voter, right? And people like him who say there needs to be discipline and people who keep saying you need to be tough on crime. Well, this is the police doing their bit. You can't have it both ways. This is the police being tough on the criminals, right? So if they're out criming, the helicopter's going to be out. This is what, this is the New Zealand that these people wanted. That's what they do. Yeah. I mean, personally, no, I I, I hear it occasionally. It doesn't really bother me. But then, um, maybe I I, I live in a low-crime suburb, perhaps. Stay there, Wyatt. Um, Let's bring in Anna. Yeah, I thought this was fascinating. Um, during the mm. floods um, over in Nelson and, and Golden Bay earlier in the year, there were I was in a flight path for helicopters coming to and from the airport, and it was so distressing and kind of this flight or fight mode that the body automatically goes into. And I thought it was really interesting that these um, you know, poorer suburbs around Auckland are the ones that seem to have this high density of um, of flight paths over them. And, I mean, that's the biggest disturbance of, of that piece by Kate Newton, I thought, and um, wondered what we can do kind of about about that. Is it yeah. just that the, these suburbs make more complaints so they... They they are not heading overhead. It's it's. Um, well, just to add to that yeah. one, I understand. I mean, it doesn't seem fair. You got Mangere and Grey Lynn. They had similar yes. crime volumes, but the Eagle spent more than twice as long above Mangere at night. Yeah, yeah, and it's really the nighttime, but that's the problem. Mm. You know, of all the uh, health effects of um, environmental noise, sleep affects uh, more than half of them. Um, and so obviously, uh, if you try and have a good night's sleep, that, that's really problematic. And just the very nature of, of helicopter sound, if you 
sort of think about your primitive brain and say cast it back in evolutionary terms you know what sort of things make us sound like that well the sort of things that do are you know earthquakes and volcanoes erupting with this and those are the sort of things that most those sorts of sounds and so your primitive brain when you're asleep uh, is as it turns out listening um, and uh, although you may not wake up fully you are certainly not having a good rest of sleep but there are obviously people who do in fact get woken up by it um, particularly if you are you know a light sleeper or you're elderly who tend to sleep lightly as well there are a whole bunch of people for which um, right. that sort of sounds going to wake them up Steve well, I, I do find myself wondering why we're fixating on this one particular noise. I mean, we, we have road noise constantly outside people's houses, surely. I live down the road from the local fire station, and I get the siren going off constantly. Okay. And that should be triggering something in my, in my lizard brain as well, surely. But for some reason, this is the one that we've we've latched onto. I'm not quite sure why. I, I, I think because it's um, the others are emergency services, and obviously some of the activities that the Eagle t- uh, carries out fit into that sort of category, but a lot of it is what you describe as surveillance. Uh, it's a type of surveillance, and uh, as Kate said in the article, you know, there's a possibility, if not now, but in the future, that a lot of that surveillance stuff could be carried out by, by drones and those sort of things, which are just simply an awful lot quieter. Well, big response to this here, some, and equal signs to I'm an Onihanga, I'm so sick of this helicopter madness, uh, 2 to 3 a.m., but others say, look, um, uh, if you want, as Steve says, want crime to be dealt with, then this is the way to go. Well, leave it there, Dr. Page, but um, hey, thanks for being on the panel. Most enjoyed. Thank you, Willis. That's yeah. uh, Associate Professor of Acoustics and Human Health. Uh, keep up the quarter on the Blumen helicopter in Tamaki Makaura. I understand it's not in other cities. Well, I I don't remember necessarily having heard it in other cities, but also to be fair, I think it's it's testament to the fact that Auckland is a quiet city. I used to live in Tokyo. Oh, come on, I used to live in Tokyo, and trust me, you're not going to be hearing a bloody helicopter when you've got the <laughs> the noise of the biggest city in the world going around you. Auckland's baseline really? is low enough that you'll hear the helicopter. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, it... Eight to five, the panel. Um, we have Steve McCabe and Anna Dean today, and finally, and by the way, I got to thank you for your response this afternoon. They have uh, been fantastic. But if you're a dog owner, stay glued to this story because the SPCA has seen a spike in the numbers of dogs getting parvovirus in Otatahi Christchurch. It's not even parvovirus season. There have been several deaths this season, so let's check into what it is and. What owners can do? NZ Veterinary Association Head of Vet Service Companion Animals is Sally Corey. Kia Hello. First up, Sally, tell us what actually is it? Um, so parvovirus is uh, basically a very contagious um, virus. Um, it's passed very easily between dogs um, and it causes a really nasty gastroenteritis. Um, so it can make um, dogs um, particularly sick. Um, younger dogs, um, so puppies, um, particularly those between about six weeks and six months, are particularly susceptible um, to the effects of parvovirus. Um, and it can be devastating for these puppies. So it, it can um, certainly have a very significant mortality rate. Oh dear. What are the symptoms, Sally? So the symptoms are, um, I mean, mostly puppies will start to become really lethargic and miserable, um, vomiting, diarrhea. The diarrhea can be quite nasty, um, can often become quite bloody. 
um, off food. Um, they're the main symptoms and just really that um, huge lethargy. These puppies just don't want to do anything um, and they start to get dehydrated very, very quickly. So do watch for that, Steve. Yeah, it's just disappointing, isn't it? You know, having a dog is a responsibility. And part of that responsibility is making sure that you care for everybody else's dogs as well, surely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, probably one of the, the um, biggest messages to get across is that pyrovirus is a completely preventable disease. Mm. Um, so it's something that we do vaccinate against and the vaccine is, um, is very effective. Um, so the cases of parvovirus that we do see are predominantly in unvaccinated dogs and puppies. Um, so it is really disappointing. Right. Yes, uh, Anna. Yeah, I mean, where I live here in Golden Bay, anything that reminds people that vaccinations are important is a good thing. So I, uh, I wish that well for all the dogs of Christchurch. Is it unusual to have so many cases now, Sally? Um, it's not really unusual. I mean, we have been sort of experiencing quite warm weather um, over the last month or so. Um, and we tend to see increased cases in the, the warmer and the wetter months of the year. So um, definitely, you know, it's not unusual. It's certainly often something that we, we do see over summer. So perhaps a little bit earlier than we would usually anticipate, but it does really coincide with the, the weather patterns that we've been seeing. Nice to have you on, Sally. Thank you for your time. That is the NZ Veterinary Association Head of Vet Service Companion. Uh, and look, so much response this afternoon. I do appreciate uh, you listening to uh, the panel. Uh, Dave, an ex-principal, says, well done, Ian Taylor. Thank heavens there are people who are prepared to say it as it is and who comes out strongly supporting teachers who work their butts off for very little uh, credit. What's not to like, Wallace? Love Steve and Anna's commentary. Sensible and compassionate. So there's one fan for you. I'm one fan. One one sided. We've got a fan on it. Good on you, folks. Yay, um, um, And uh, kia ora, Wallace. School non-attendance. Schools need to look at their approach to learning. Some students are not engaged and experience classrooms negative learning environments. It's turn off. For others, unsafe critical, toxic. If they're not returning to classrooms, is anyone asking what that learner needs to engage in? Schools are understaffed to meet learning needs effectively and creativity creatively that excites students about learning. I never underestimate, Steve, the the value that teachers put in. I'm seeing it with um, little juniors teachers, yeah. you know, the, the level of engagement and then you cut, you go to work. I, I, I drop um, little junior off fairly early. Yeah. They're there an hour early. They're there after school doing the mark. It's just quite, it's quite something, eh? There is a meme doing the rounds on social media. Um, Twitter, incidentally, you may have you have seen it there, obviously. <laughs> um, so teachers don't do it for the income, they do it for the outcome. And and that's one of the most offensive things I've, I've ever seen about teachers because the implication is, is that, you know, it can be used as a justification for not rewarding them for all the incredible hard work that they do and for the outcomes that they generate. Teachers do work hard. Um, I'm, I'm glad to be out of that particular profession now because it was killing me, the stress and the strain of it. I've seen colleagues who put their entire heart and soul into it. They really, really do. And, and, and unfortunately, suggestions that, that 
kids aren't coming to school because they're just not being engaged is is troubling because you know I, i've had principals tell me it's like well you you had a problem in your classroom today well maybe it's because your lessons aren't quite engaging right, enough okay. and yeah that didn't sit well now amy says wallace i live in hell park Manarewa, been here 25 years i cannot stand these helicopter noises 11 p.m to 1 a.m the shocker we might come back to the helicopters Meanwhile, you've been wonderful. Steve McCabe, Anadine, thank you very much. I'm Wallace Chapman. Big thanks to Charlie Drever. See you tomorrow at 3.45. Checkpoint next.